Hey, it's Thomas Frank. I've just got a quick note for you before we get into the show. If you've been enjoying the Inforium or my videos over on YouTube, then you, my friend, should get Nebula. On Nebula, you get ad-free versions of both this podcast and my videos, along with exclusive stuff like extended versions of those videos. And it's not just our stuff that you're going to get. Dozens of other creators are on Nebula, including Ali Abdal, Wendover Productions, Braincraft, Tier Zoo, and lots more. Nebula gives us a chance to experiment, and since everything's ad-free, it's also the best way for you to get our content. Head over to theinforium.com slash nebula to sign up now. Hello, dear listener, and welcome to yet another episode of The Inforium, the world's greatest audio product ever. That... I'm just escalating it. All right. <laughs> At some point, it's going to be I the guess. world's greatest thing, maybe. Something. Or I'll take time to write intro jokes in the future. Anyway, welcome back to The Inforium. I'm Thomas Frank. My good friend Martin Bamey is here. Uh, not actually here, but you That's know, true. here on the Somewhere. internet as my co-host. Yeah, you're in you're in Pineapolis now. Yeah, yep, that's that's a fact. But we still share the same linear time space, and here I am. Sort of. You're an hour ahead of me. How does the future feel? Uh, way cooler than anything you could ever comprehend, simpleton. I was gonna ask, do you have jetpacks yet? It's uh no, jetpacks are dangerous. I don't trust people with jetpacks. All right. It's a bad idea. For the longest time, I had in my College Info Geek about page, like a little bio, um, I had like a little thing about jetpacks. <laughs> like, hey, I'm Thomas Frank, and I'm scared of jetpacks because they would burn your legs. But then I've seen some designs where the jetpack is sort of like far away from your back. There's just like a pole arm that kind of extends from the part that you attach to your body. And then the jet is kind of like, I don't know, a couple of feet back. I mean, that sounds ridiculous the way I'm picturing it. So that But also work. my issue is more that humans aren't really smart enough to deserve cars. I don't know that we should push further than that. Uh, you're probably right. We should have public transport and bikes, and then we should calm down. Ooh, okay. So I'm going to jump in there for our little project check-in slash life check-in part of the show. Today, I took my first trip with the bike trailer that I got for the e-bike. A trailer attaching to the bike. Yeah, so it's the um, okay. it's a trailer made by a company called Burley. I don't remember the exact model, but it's uh, you know it's just a bike trailer, and it's got a cover for rain. It's got a good amount of space, and then you just install this little tiny bracket thing on your rear axle. It's super easy, and uh, there's just a little pin that you pull out of the arm that's on the trailer you shove it into the bracket and then you put the pin in there so taking the trailer on or off is like a 10 second process and rode it to home depot and i bought a garden hose and some various garden things okay they fit in there perfectly it was great that's cool so yeah maiden voyage of the trailer was a success it is well, I guess it's 2.30. It's pretty late in the day, but I have already uh, biked 12 miles and lifted, so I'm feeling good. Nice. That is a lot yeah. more activity than I have undertaken this day. Are you going to take under some activity? I don't know. Probably later on. not. You know, activities, I hate it, you know? I actually haven't you biked could... yet because it's been largely chilly and rainy mm -hmm. thus far, which I've loved, but it's not my preferred biking weather yet. You could just bike in the rain. 
I could do that. But I've also been so busy that it's like I would have to go out of my way to make time for it. And since it's not my preferred biking weather, I haven't bothered to do that yet. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I have been biking in the rain. I've got a rain jacket. And um, all the, the, is it, I think we call them panniers, but I think they're actually called panniers. The bags you put in the back of your bike. The ones I have are waterproof. Oh, that's cool. So pretty much everything except for my jeans are waterproof when I'm on the bike, which means rain is not an issue now. So the only issue that I am currently having is anytime I want to go somewhere with Anna, we still have to drive because she's in the trailer yet. I could. <laughs> okay. The trailer I got is a cargo trailer, but they do make trailers for like kids. I could yeah, buy you one could, of the kid you trailers. Could put her in one of those kid trailers where kid trailer. Yeah. And you can with play like your the sun cover and <laughs> just going to take my fiance That'd be for fun. a bike ride in the kid trailer. Um, I, I want to get her an e-bike and we have found one. It is, Oh, you have, you basically have one. You have a, you have a townie bike, right? Yeah. So townie is made by truck and they have an e-bike line as well. That's like townie. Uh, and there's a, I think it's just like a step up called the Electra. And that's basically one I want to get her. It's honestly a sweet bike. I wouldn't have bought it for myself, but it's pretty much a Dutch bike. Like the seating position is super casual. It's got that step through frame. It's like perfect as a commuter bike. Cool. So I'm probably gonna get her that one and that should enable her to at least go most places that aren't insane distances with me. I doubt she'll be biking 20 miles downtown with me very often, but that's fine. I can deal with that. So anyway, all this to say, Operation Ditch the Car is going along swimmingly. That's a pretty good operation. I yeah. shall join you shortly with the warm weather. Heck yeah. By ditch the car, I do mean just don't use it very often. I don't think I'm going to get rid of it because it is very yeah. nice for getting to the airport and for going to the mountains. It would be hard to, I mean, you can take public transit to get to the Denver airport, but it is, it's like a billion years away. Yeah. So the Denver airport's like its own town, but also other if thing, you can't go to the mountains. No, you really, I mean, you can, you can take the ski train to winter park, but that's kind of it. Or I guess you could sign on for group things or I could just bum rides, but I do want the ability to go to the mountains on my own. So yeah. I'll keep a car for that reason. But dude, if I like, I totally understand people living in New York, never need a car. You just never need it. No, I Especially only really like, want mine to go up to places outside of the city. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they've got the, the docked bikes everywhere which I have experienced with those docked bikes. They're called city bike. Uh, they're pretty great, except sometimes, and this is more times than I would like, you go to dock your bike where, at your destination and all the docks are full. So then you have to ride around the city trying to find a dock. And for this reason, I think the huh. dockless is a better system. Like the bird Never occurred to me that there would be everything. one that was just completely full by coincidence. Mm-hmm. Oh, bird birds doing something a little, a little sneaky, a little sneaky. So we got an email, uh, by bird and they're basically saying like, Hey, you should email the Denver city council to tell them how much you like bird and how much you like using scooters in the city because they might get rid of them, you know? And I looked into this 
<laughs> the Denver City Council is not getting rid of scooters. They are doubling down on scooters, but unfortunately for Bird, they're giving the contracts only to Lyft and Lime. Oh. So I think Bird is just going to lose this war, the scooter war. And their their tactic seems to be paint it to their user base as the city is trying to get rid of scooters. I think they're trying to like finagle a write-in campaign that piggybacks off of us liking scooters, but just happens to mention Bird as the scooter company of choice because it's their form they control. But no, Denver's not getting rid of scooters. They're they're gonna have a lot scooters of scooters just showed up around where I'm at. So Did they? You know. Ooh. Which ones did you get? Did you get Bird? Did you get Lyft, Lime? Uh, they're Lime ones. Fleeble, Beep Bop? I think. But they literally just popped up like a week or two ago. Well, sweet. I think the dockless scooter thing is an absolute win, as the Hulk would say. I know some people have their quibbles with it. Like, yeah, sometimes people do leave them sitting in the sidewalk. Kind of annoying. But the combination of public transit and those scooters means you could just take a train from where you live to the city, grab one and get anywhere you want. It's genius. You don't yeah. need a car. You don't need a car. Ooh, that gives me an idea for a, <laughs> a contentious podcast topic for the future. There was a channel today that published a video sort of debunking a lot of the statistics that um, anti-meat people use when talking about meat production's effect on climate change specifically. And um, it just seems like like fossil fuel usage is a much bigger problem in that specific dimension. Could be an interesting topic for discussion. But I'll become a scientist just to figure it out. There you go. Yeah, become a scientist. Actually, don't don't become a scientist. They're always lying and getting me pissed. Oh, no. (laughs) Anyway, uh, what do you what have you been up to Um, last couple of weeks? I made a song. You did make a song. Is it the one that you sent me or is it another one? Yeah. No, I've got like uh, several others that are like partially looked at, but mm-hmm. uh, it's the one that I sent you. Uh, probably put that somewhere on the internet. The week it's after dope. this goes out, I've been getting would... some other stuff ready to do that with. I want to do a lot more with music this year, if possible. Mm-hmm. That song will be perfect for the video game that you will at some point build. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of stuff I want to do with music right now, and that eventually I'll probably end up reverse engineering myself a game from the music I've made. I'll, I'll go soundtrack first. But, All right. Um, doing this strategy. is more fun than holding back all the music ideas I have and saying, I'll save it. I'll save it for the game, right? Because mm-hmm. then I just I never get to do the music until like six years from now or something after which I will have lost that specific melody. Yeah. And besides, if I start it now, I'll be a better composer by the time I work on any game. That was going to be my point. Uh, If you're doing music regularly now, by the time you're making a game and you're like, Hey, I need music for this. Even if your old tracks don't fit the vibe you're going for, you have all that experience. Yeah. Yeah. So So I'll be putting that out probably, probably the Monday after this episode goes out. Maybe earlier, but probably Monday. And then I'll cool. see what happens after that. The trick is just to find the, the time to actually give to my projects. Mm-hmm. And that's difficult. But it's not impossible. It is difficult. There's just too many things 
to do. A lot do. of stuff going on. Yep. Uh, I will say going to bed, I think I went to bed at like 10 p.m. last night, which is, I usually shoot for 10.30 if I can do it. Um, was able to wake up right at 6. Had tons of time. Got my workout done. Biked 12 miles. Plenty of time. It was great. So yeah. that does add time because I don't tend to work on my projects at night. I'm just not that kind of person anymore. No, nighttime is like when I have existential crises or mm-hmm. do nothing and hang out with friends. I don't accomplish anything at night. Later I stay up, the more I'm just trading those hours for hours where I would do the things that I want to do more yeah. of. Yep, same here. So I think the order for the order of the day for both of us is get out of bed early and get moving quickly so we can get all these things done. Potentially. We'll see what happens. We will see what happens. A boy can dream. Mm -hmm. Uh, For my project check-in, I think these both came out after the last episode, so I didn't mention them, but uh, I started building a basics, like a basic how to use Notion course. And it is free. It is public. It's called Notion Fundamentals, and it's at thomasjfrank.com slash fundamentals. Uh, the first two lessons are live as we record this, and I'm hoping to have the third lesson live by the time this episode goes out. No guarantees, but uh, it's, it's nearly done. Um, so basically, this is going to be, number one, a free resource for anybody who wants to learn the basics of Notion to just use for whatever they want. But it's also kind of like a prerequisite or preliminary introduction to the advanced Notion course that I'm going to be building for people who want to take it to the next level, use it for their businesses, build more complex workflows that do, that kind of take over the other apps they're using. So I'm working on that as well. I've been taking an online course that is teaching me how to more effectively teach. uh, And I think I'm going to be doing it as a cohort. So, and I think this is going to be like a very limited beta cohort at first, so I can learn what the heck I'm doing and not, you know, promise too much to too many people. But if anybody is curious about that and you want updates for it, you can go over to, uh, let me, let me make sure, let me make sure I know the URL because I don't want to say the wrong one. Uh, I'm fairly certain that it is thomasjfrank.com slash, let's see here. What happens if I just put in, oh, just go to courses. It's at the bottom of that page. Yeah, it's easy. What happens if I put a Notion course? Hey, that, that works. Okay, it's Notion course. That's what it is. I didn't put this in the uh, in the document, so I should oh. prepare myself. We'll look at but that. That's kind of what I've been working on in addition to um, stuff on the main channel. And I think we're going to talk about how that's been going today in this oh, episode's yeah. main. Yeah, that would definitely tie in. Quote, unquote, segment, if there is such a thing. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I guess what we're doing in this episode is wrapping up our discussion on the book Thinking in Bats by Andy Duke. Uh, if you didn't catch the previous episode in this little mini series, Thinking in Bets is a book by a former world championship of poker player. Andy Duke has made millions of dollars playing professional poker. It's gone to the World Series. Is it World Series? Of, I think it's World Series of Poker, not World Championship Poker. Um, has gone to the World Series of Poker and also is a, I believe, psychologist as well. Uh, and now she wrote this book, but also gives talks and consults for companies using what she learned as a professional poker player to help people make better decisions 
and think more strategically in business and in life and all that kind of stuff. So that's kind of what the book is about. And in the first episode, we kind of discussed the first part of the book, which was illuminating just some of the, you know, kind of heuristics and biases and, th- and decision-making problems that people have with the biggest one being, uh, and I think the takeaway from that episode being that a lot of times when people get an outcome from a decision they make, they use the outcome itself solely to determine how smart the decision itself was. Yeah. Which in most cases is not the way to go because many times the outcomes of our decisions are influenced not only by the decisions themselves, but by outside influences that we have no control over and we could not predict. So for example, you know, in poker, when you make a bet, you have some control over your decision. You have some information, you know, what cards you're holding. Maybe you have some experience reading other players. You might know that, you know, a friend of yours bets a certain way when they have a good hand, they bet a different way when they have a bad hand, but you don't know what they're holding. So you have some information, but when you actually go to make your bet, you are making a bet on incomplete information, hoping that it pays off. And a huge part of the book sort of tries to drive this point home that in many cases, the best possible decision you can make is one that still has a low likelihood of success. Like in poker, you do not win more than 51% of the hands. So the name of the game is extracting the maximum number of dollars possible from your opponents when you do win. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's sort of established mm-hmm. that you have to become, un- you have to become comfortable with uncertainty and you have to admit to yourself that it's there because yeah. otherwise you have hindsight bias. You just sort of imagine that everything that went well is great. Everything that went badly was a terrible idea, but you can get terrible lessons from that. Mm-hmm. I think I mentioned in that episode, you know, that time I, the time I uh, broke the tip of my finger mountain biking. Yeah. That there was no way for me to know that was going to happen. We were told it was the beginner track judging from what you knew of beginner tracks. It should have been fine, but their mm-hmm. definition was different. We couldn't have known that we couldn't have known lots of things. And if I were to change that decision, it could have instead meant that I had a mindset that was afraid of trying new things all the time, which would be just, that's a worse way to live, even if that time I got unlucky. So yeah. it's important to separate basically the effects of luck, which you can't do anything about. Mm-hmm. I've heard from a lot of people that they like playing games like chess because they like having all the information in front of them and they're uncomfortable with games like poker or you know video games where you have to make bets, you don't have all the information. But I guess what I would submit here is that playing games like poker or I'm trying to think of another game that has incomplete information. I guess Battleship has incomplete information. Um, you know, a lot of games. Playing games like that, they sort of get you used to making decisions when you don't have all the information. And I think that's an essential skill. Otherwise, you just you spend a lot of time in your real life paralyzed because most of the really important decisions we make in life don't give us all the information up front. Everything's yeah. a bet. Yeah, you can't avoid you, that. You moving to Pineapolis was a bet. Oh, Me Magic going to Iowa State University was one. a bet. You know, you going and getting a associate's degree before college that was a bet. And all sorts of you know lucky happenstances tend to happen. You have no idea they're going to happen. Yeah. So, um, what do you, what do you see as this episode's discussion centering around? 
Well, I would say that the rest of the book delves a little bit more into now that we've established that this is how you shouldn't think about things and you have to accept uncertainty. It talks a bit more about what we can do to make better decisions once we've sort of accepted that. And interestingly, all of my favorite lessons end up in chapter six, but a lot of it talks about, let's see, it talks about making more earnest attempts to seek out the truth rather than just comforting explanations. It talks about you not wanting to ignore a message just because you don't like the messenger, sort of the reverse of mm. uh, don't shoot the messenger, sort of like uh, if you're yeah. really mad at somebody, but then they give you good advice, you, that good advice might still be good advice, even if you don't like them. Um, but everything that I that I pulled the most from when I was reading it took place in the last chapter, which concerned the idea of mental time travel and sort of how to imagine the future and the past in a way that will help you make better decisions because of the sort of the way our brain works. And I thought that was interesting. Not all of it's new to me, but there was actually one piece that I actually hadn't tried before. I thought that was really cool. What and was that? that is uh, the idea of pre-mortems, which is the last thing I have listed in here. But I thought what was interesting about this is that it established these points by saying, uh, neurologically, it seems that when you are trying to predict stuff, you sort of use similar brain parts to remembering. And in, in either way, you can do a better job than you can when you're thinking about the present of trying to be slightly more rational about it. In the present, Sweet. we see everything that's currently happening as really important, mm. you know, but imagining a future self is somewhat different neurologically. And it seems to be easier for people to disconnect from their short-term problems and, and imagine things better if they think about future them. And most of this chapter is about different ways of imagining the future and past so that you can sort of disconnect from present you. Right. And that makes a lot of sense because anytime I think, oh, do I have time to do this thing next week? I'm like, yeah, of course I do. Unless my calendar is already super blocked off you know, if it's not, and someone's like, Hey, do you have time for a call next week? I'll be like, yeah, sure. My calendar's open. I don't even think about all the craziness that is almost certainly going to be in that week. It just seems open. Yeah. And we've got all of our anxieties, our emotions, anything we're dealing with in the present clouds, our ability to view what is going on in a disconnected way. So sometimes it's easier to think about different portions of time and figure it out. The first thing that it talks about is actually about the idea of how regret is potentially a useful emotion. I believe we've talked about this before at some point. Yeah, I think the so. idea that if you imagine a future you and try to figure out what they might regret, you can do a better job of pinpointing what's important to you. I like to call that pregret. That doesn't say that in the book. I just, <laughs> it's a, a thing, but mm. Basically, if I imagine old man Martin and I imagine him looking back on life and I try to think, what does he regret? What, did he, what does he think maybe he didn't do enough if he's not happy? It will be easier for me to pinpoint what's important. Whereas right now, if I think what is important in my life, I'm more likely to be like, 
well, the current anxiety, the thing I'm dealing with this week, I won't be able to disconnect and see the bigger picture. And that might cost me good decisions. So one way of using this sort of pregret that's mentioned in the book is this thing called 10, 10, 10. And so when you're making a decision, you might think of the consequences of that decision in the next 10 minutes, the next 10 months, and the next 10 years, sort of which, what are the different versions of you think of that? Mm-hmm. And I thought that was pretty interesting because if I, I, I'm a sucker for pastries and custards for, I am a fool. <laughs> so if I go and I buy more desserts or I, or something to that effect in 10 minutes, I'm probably fine. I'm happy. I just had a dessert. I feel great about it in 10 months. If I've established that as a pattern, I'm probably not hitting any of my health goals. And in 10 years, I start to hit like, oh no, I'm at the doctor's office because I've made bad decisions about my health for 10 straight years. Mm -hmm. So it's easier to sort of disconnect from the I'm hungry for dessert 10 minutes version of me who is a foolish lad. In that situation, I think you have to really separate the instance from the potential of a pattern developing. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely for food. Now, I know for me, it's a pattern. Croissant. It's yeah. absolutely a pattern for me. I know that. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't, I didn't think of a different example because that's my primary thing that I regret doing over and over and over. Um, I have to think holistically about this. Cause like I, I eat ice cream every night basically. And I do not think that given the other things I eat and my exercise routines that I, I'm going to be disappointed. Well, if you eat enough salad, it actually erases the sugar. It does. From your body. You, you know, if you eat really spicy food, I've heard that has negative calories sometimes. Not going to bother to fact check that one, but you know, it just deletes the ice cream I ate. Yeah, right? this, I is, ate this is not food misinformation. <laughs> But yeah, no, I mean, in my case, it's like, oh, I'm not going to delude myself into thinking I can just delete the ice cream by eating salad. But moderation in all things, if my diet is otherwise very good and I'm very active, I'm fine with that. Maybe, but we're also talking about somebody who stereotypically as himself loves ice cream. So your decisions are probably clouded by the fact that you love ice cream. Serving size would make the difference there. You know, you could go oh, to yeah. you could go to the store and get one custard and it's like 800 calories. If I have that every night, I've now established that a good portion of my caloric intake is nonsense. So that's desserts get they get up there real fast and the All percentage right, of up. my actual caloric intake would go crazy. Let me look this up. I got to look up the pint. Uh, oh, okay. Well, let's 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 divert into out. ice cream science. This is very important <laughs> before Tom has a crisis. It's very important, okay? They don't have the nutrition facts on the website. Ah, so, so you're not, not familiar with the nutrition facts of the ice cream. That's not that bad for you. Interesting. It's oh. a good thing you brought science to back you up. Here it is. <laughs> All right, here it is. There are 2.5 servings per container, and the serving is 340 calories. I usually get two servings out of the container, so we're going to call it like an even 400. So that's not 800. That's only 400. Uh, Okay, so if you do that every night, that's almost 3,000 or like maybe a heavy day or a day and a half worth of your caloric intake. That's fine. Is, is ice cream, you know? And if that's a calculation you're willing to make, then there it My is. My daily caloric intake is not 2,000 calories. It's quite a bit higher than that. 
Okay, so maybe a day of your intake is ice cream. That's fine. Over the week, you get an extra, That's you have fine. an eighth day for ice cream. <laughs> I can live with that. Well, there you go. You've made the decision that you can live with that. <laughs> hey, let's take a quick break and pay some bills. So this week's episode of our show is brought to you by our friends over at CuriosityStream, which is the best place on the internet for high quality documentaries covering nature, science, technology, history, and a ton of other great educational subjects. In fact, if you are a fan of David Attenborough, like I am, you're going to find a ton of his documentaries on CuriosityStream, including one called Light on Earth, which is all about bioluminescence, one of my favorite things to look at when it comes to nature footage. But another great thing about CuriosityStream is that they have actually partnered with, well, me and Martin and a bunch of other educational creators because we have built a platform called Nebula where you can get all of my content completely ad-free and with bonus content. You can get the Inforium podcast with no ads. You can get all the videos from my main YouTube channel, again, with no ads. And all those new YouTube videos that I'm publishing over on the main channel on Nebula have bonus extended sections, places where we can add extra research, extra sections that just wouldn't have fit in our YouTube cuts, maybe a little bit too long, or just, you know, extra detail for the nerds that really want to dig into things. You're going to find all that on Nebula. And a lot of my other fellow creators are doing the exact same thing. Sam from Windover Productions, Brian from Real Engineering, Marquez Brownlee, MK BHD, a ton of your favorite educational creators are on Nebula. And here is the best part. We have teamed up with CuriosityStream. So when you go over to curiositystream.com slash pod, yep, curiositystream.com slash pod, and sign up, you can get both CuriosityStream and Nebula bundled together. And we actually have the best deal out there. When you go to that URL, you can get 26% off their annual premium subscription uh, normal rate. So once again, curiositystream.com slash pod to get access to the best documentaries on the internet with CuriosityStream and tons of ad-free and exclusive content on Nebula and also help to support us and a lot of your other favorite educational creators as well. Big thanks as always to CuriosityStream for sponsoring this episode and being willing to partner with us to let this bundle be a thing that exists. Seriously, we could not do it without them. So if you want to support us and you want to get access to Nebula, go check them out. This episode is also sponsored by our friends over at Brilliant, which is an amazing learning platform for anybody who wants to improve their mastery of math, science, and computer science also improve their decision-making abilities and their problem-solving skills. On Brilliant, you're going to find over 60 in-depth courses in these STEM-focused topics, and these courses are built for active learning. They have logically sequenced bite-sized problems that keep you actively engaged with the learning process the entire time instead of having to spend long stretches just reading you know, rows of text or watching videos or sitting back and passively intaking information. Instead, with Brilliant courses, you do a little bit of reading and then you solve a problem. You get stuck and then you find the solution but it's very active the entire time. And as a result, you learn faster. And because we're talking about decision-making, we're talking about regret, we're talking about all the things from thinking and bets in this episode, the course that I want to recommend this week is their course on knowledge and uncertainty, which is all about becoming more comfortable with uncertainty, with quantifying uncertainty, with learning what information you know, what information you don't know, getting into things like Bayesian reasoning. So if you want to dig into that or any of their other courses and improve your decision-making and problem-solving skills, head on over to Brilliant dot org slash inforium and sign up. And if you're one of the first 200 people to do so, you're going to get 20% off their annual premium subscription. So once again, brilliant.org slash inforium. And thanks as always to Brilliant for sponsoring this episode and being a supporter of our show. Let's get back into it. I think that, that maybe that's like worth talking about for a second. Like I have come to terms with that being an okay decision 
based on what makes me happy and what I can determine are good health markers and good goals. Because it's very easy to be like, oh, well, what's, you know, 10 years, 10 years from now, me would want 10 years in the past me to have made perfect decisions. So I'm like super optimal, David Goggins. Oh no, perfectionism Navy is SEAL, terrible. Right? And so you have to, I guess if we're talking about this pre-grad strategy, you have to balance the the future version of you's desires with, you know, what actually does make you reasonably happy on a daily basis. Yeah, you have to make sure the desires aren't exclusively like perfectionist mm-hmm. desires. That's going to go poorly. And actually, yeah. it's interesting that you mentioned the the future you're regretting 10 years ago because the other way to use the 101010 is to do it in reverse and say how would I feel if I had made this choice 10 minutes ago, 10 months ago or 10 years ago. So Oh, yeah. So the decision for me to get away from the delicious food for a second to say, I'm going to just make a song that sounds video gamey and I'm not going to wait until I've made a video game to use them. If I had made that decision 10 years ago, I would be an expert video game composer right now. So that would have been a good decision. And, you know, that probably would have led me closer to making a game. So I have no reason to regret that idea. I think that compounded over time, that idea actually leads me in a good direction. Right. So I feel pretty good about it, even though at first I was like, but I'm saving these ideas for my game. You know, what if I run out of ideas? What if I do that? Well, I don't run out of ideas on anything else. It just takes time like everything else in the world, mm-hmm. you know? That's, and, I like the reversal a lot. Yeah, I think it lets you imagine what would what would I be currently if past me had done this differently? Mm-hmm. What if I had stayed in Denver? What if I had stayed in Iowa, actually? Where would I be right now? Very yeah. different. Now, there's a there's a way you can combine these because one thing that people get hung up on with the reversal here is they'll say things like, if I had just started skateboarding 10 years ago, I'd be pro today. If I had just started singing 10 years ago, like whatever it is, right? And then... They continue to do what they've done for the past 10 years, which is not start skateboarding. Uh, don't use that information for any anything other than yeah. like complaining. So, so the real thing to do is say, okay, I could have started singing lessons 10 years ago when I was 16 years old, wink. Uh, and I would be at, you know, 10 year progress now. Okay. Think about it in the, in the, the non-reversed way now. 10 years from now, how will I feel if I start singing today? Well, I'm going to be a 10 year singer by that time. If I do that, I'm going to feel great about that. If I don't do that, then I'm going to be looking back a minute. Oh, now I, now I've waited 20 years and haven't started, man. If I would have started 20 years ago, I wouldn't. So I think, yeah, if you you have to take that and go like, man, I really regret not doing that 10 years ago. Okay. Do I still have 10 years left to live? Cool. Then 10 years from now, me, will be very glad that I made a decision to start doing it today. Yeah. Yeah, that's a pretty good idea. The more you regret the previous one, the more you should probably not let future you regret it again. Yeah, because, you know, there are some things where, yeah, okay, you maybe missed the boat if you didn't start when you were a kid. If you want to be an Olympic figure skater and, you know, you're 25 now, it's probably not going to happen. But 35-year-old you is going to be a pretty damn good figure skater just casually or in amateur competitions, if you start now. Yeah. 
So, you know, maybe the, the highest world-class echelons of competition require you to start at a young age in some things. But if you just want to be really competent, really good at something, if you want to be fulfilled by it, you could be 60 years old, start learning today. And by the time you're 70, you're a 10 year veteran. Yeah. Plenty of time to enjoy things. There's this guy I follow on Twitter. Uh, his, his name is PD Mangan Mangan. I don't know how to say his last name. M A N G A N dude is like 67 years old from the neck down. He looks like me. Like exactly like you or in a sense of like health that body type pretty much like from the pictures I've seen, you know, you you look from the neck up, he's like got gray hair. He's mid sixties. But other than that, he's in fantastic shape. Um, so what that tells me, you know, what a lot of my life experience and research has told me is that age is a very malleable thing. Uh, he had a tweet that was like, you can be, you can be an old 40 year old or a young 70 year old. It's your choice. And when I think about, this kind of idea, like, oh, I really regret not starting this 10 years ago. Once we get past our, our late twenties, how long we have left to live is largely up to how we structure our habits. Yeah. And the quality of that life and luck as we've established, but your habits define where you really, yeah. I mean, there's always going to be that person in the comments like, yeah, you get hit, you get hit by a bus. Okay, cool. I don't plan on getting hit by a bus. You know, I can, I can make sure I don't step out in front of buses, but I can't really plan my life around the probability that I'm going to have a freak accident. What I can do is say, all right, I'm to the point now where my daily health choices have a measurable effect on my quality of life and the length of life that I likely have left to live. And that also is how many years I have to practice the things I want to practice, acquire skills I want, accomplish things. If I do things correctly, then I got a long time left. And if I regret not doing something 10 years ago, okay, I can make some habit changes that will add 10 years to my life. Cool. It's erased. All that regret is erased. doesn't matter. Yeah. I think there's a, it might be XKCD comic that talks about how, like, I don't know if it's XKCD off the top of my head, actually. I'm, I'm struggling to remember. But it was something, some comic that was talking about the idea that every seven years is basically enough time for you to have lived, like, a mini life, an entire new segment of things. And there are plenty of periods of time like that. And, I mean, even just the four years that I spent in Colorado, that feels like a life. That feels like a lifetime ago. That's the first day that we went into Colorado. The same thing applies to college. The same thing applies to my first job out of like each different chapter. Relatively few years can feel like a huge deal. That's true. Just everything is different in each of those chapters. They were all different me's and I could have, I did actually focus on different skills and different things I cared about in each one. I think it's maybe a bit more compressed when you're younger like for me, you know, high school seems very different than, than college. And I get, like for high school, I would probably lump in, I'd lump in eighth grade as well. So I'll we'll call that five college is four, you know, but then, yeah, like the, the past it's, it's been seven years. The past seven years have been like my chapter as a YouTuber so far. 
before that it was something quite different and it feels different when i think back on it yeah to being a whole like being a blogger and everything and i wonder i wonder if there's something to seven because i i feel like this urge to to explore and try new things now maybe which is, maybe the comic had things that i'm forgetting that would make this better yeah i'm just gonna i'm i don't know maybe i'll find yeah it. we can look up we can look up the comic all right you know it, it cannot be as bad as there was an episode of listen money matters this was back in i think 2014 when they were daily and i was listening every day it was my favorite podcast before i became a co-host of it uh, i guess i became a co-host of it because it was my favorite podcast but there was an episode where matt and andrew came across some kind of question and Matt was like, my brother knows the answer to this question. And he yells for his brother and his brother comes up and Matt has the same mic that I have. So if you get far away from it, you can't really hear much. It's very directional. So he turns his head and he has like a 15 minute conversation with his brother that they forgot to cut out. <laughs> so I remember just walking through the neighborhood being like, <laughs> when is this going to end? When are they going to get back to the show? What is this? <laughs> And I didn't know how long it was going to last. So I just kept walking, listening to it. So, you know, as long as we don't do that, we're at least not the worst when it comes to dead air. Yeah. Um, <laughs> did you, I found did you a different, no, I found a different comic involving seven years. So oh, yeah? maybe it was an XKCD. Maybe I've mixed comics in my head. Mm. So now I've got nothing. This one will take, I'll figure it out later. Well, I used the diatribe to cover up the dead air. That's fine. And anyway, this the, basically the last part of this book, talking talking about imagining futures and pasts and days of future past, probably and Magneto, things like that. It it made me think a lot about the projects I want to take on and mm. how I might take them on properly, and why maybe I haven't succeeded at some of them already, and whether or not that was up to me or up to luck that did it. Um, so the next thing I wanted to talk about that we, we definitely, you've done this before, but the next thing the book talks about is Ulysses contracts, which is, I've done a Ulysses contract. Yeah, you have, you've signed it in blood, my friend. Oh. <laughs> it is far too late. All right. Um, the, it comes from the story of Odysseus because apparently one of them is like the Latin and one of them is the Greek name or something. I don't remember which. So the idea of when he wanted to pass the sirens in the ship and he didn't want to be tempted by their song. So we had the crew members tie him to the mast, the sort of mm -hmm. forcing future you yeah, to do what present you thinks is right. So are we talking sort about of things like, uh, I want to run every day. So I sign up for a marathon six months in the future. Things like thing? things like that. Things like, um, be minder things like your mm -hmm. wake up system. Um, yeah, I talked about the idea of how, present me is is often at odds with past or future me because present yeah. me you know at the at nighttime doesn't want to go to bed early but present me in the morning yeah. is really re i'm really annoyed morning me is really annoyed at night me so it was talking about ulysses contracts finding a way to sort of force the hand of future you as a way of making sure that you stop betraying all the alternative versions of you Mm -hmm. let's let's do a case study here we're working on this video about you know feeling better when you wake up in the morning and a big part of that is going to bed at the right time 
so you get enough sleep. And yeah. that seems to be a much tougher nut to crack than getting out of bed. I can set a scheduled tweet or a second alarm in another room. Like I can make myself get out of bed. But there doesn't seem to be those kind of like dead man's triggers for going to bed. No, it's, and it's it like, seems it's a harder. harder habit. Well, I've had this problem when I try to set. So I, you know, my little, my goal book, my habit systems, I'll try, I'll set one that's like wake up by this time. And sure, maybe I'll succeed that week and I'll follow the rules. But actually, I just got five hours of sleep every night. So obviously, that's, that's not going to work for future me. So I, yeah. I've been trying to do one where I make sure to go to bed earlier, but that's hard to enforce. The, the closest I've come thus far is I specifically told people on, on Discord, which is frequently where I end up like late I, on evenings where I'm free. Right. And I'm trying to commit now to just saying, hey, just so you know, I'm, I'm going to leave at 10. I'm going to be healthy and have Discord, so I'm going to be gone. And if I say that first, it becomes easier to do it later. Otherwise, I don't know how to disconnect before everybody else does. Mm. I don't know how to force it yet. I don't know how to make myself go to bed. I have been listening to it thus far, but if I start to betray myself, it's hard to... I don't, it's hard to force a wind down. And there's that, yeah. that concept that I've seen people post about some language having a word about revenge bedtime procrastination because people who spend their whole day working and don't have the freedoms they want will stay up late at the expense of themselves uh, because yep. they're like, no, I'm going to do what I wanted regardless yeah. of having my time stolen by other things. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I totally feel that. Yeah, uh, I, I get it. Like a lot of times when I've had to edit videos until like 8 p.m., I'm like, well, I still want to do these things. Yeah, like I refuse to, to give it up. <laughs> so I'm not going to go to bed. I'm going to stay up and watch things. Yeah, I don't know. It seems like the best thing is just to pre-commit to like a, a wind down that happens half hour or an hour before. Which at yeah. least gives you some buffer time if you're like finishing an episode of something or reading something. Yeah, but I like think depending on what I choose to do at night, it can be really hard to disengage and actually go to bed. Yeah, yeah. See, that's what I was going to say next. Is like I think the, the activity itself, I think, is really important. If I want to stay up late past a certain point, and I think I don't want to go to bed yet, I'm going to stay up past uh, eleven or even later on my slightly less responsible nights. If I'm reading a book, I can disconnect better. If uh, yeah. the other night Ashley and I were just like. Want to do that puzzle instead of, and then we did, but you know, it's easy to disconnect from that. It's easy to be done and go to bed. So when my body gets tired, it works. But if I'm on discord, it's hard to get away from it. If I'm right. playing a video game, it's hard to get away from it. There are certain things that'll pull you in more than others. So thus far, I'm just trying to avoid those things past a certain time. Yeah. Hopefully I'll come up with a better solution to that. Because obviously I've been reestablishing my schedule after moving. So I haven't quite, haven't quite gotten there yet. Maybe there is a dead man's trigger that you can create. Not for going to bed, but like an alarm in another room that forces you to disengage from what you're doing. And at least gives you a chance to permanently disengage from it for the night and do what you're supposed to do. That that could potentially work as long as it interrupts you long enough to get your head out of it for a second so that you can step back and make the decision yourself rather than yeah 
like if it's a video game, it's the game loop that makes me want to keep playing. Mm-hmm. I'm basically on game autopilot. So a chance well, to disconnect yeah. would, would let me think, wait, do I actually want to continue? Can we make the alarm outside of the house somehow? Like I like, <laughs> you know, like something's going to melt three blocks away if I don't jog over there and fix it now. And by the time I get back, I've disconnected. Uh, yeah, you could. Here's what you do. You, you hide your iPad in the bushes outside. When the, if yeah. the alarm goes off, someone's going to know it's there and they'll steal it. So you got to go know, out, you know, and turn it off and then hide it again somewhere else. So people don't know where you have it hidden. That's there it is. See that that almost works if it weren't for the fact that that's a terrible idea. But I like <laughs> I love the idea of getting forced to get significantly away. <laughs> but obviously, I think maybe outside is probably too inconvenient. Maybe if I had a yard, you sounded like maybe Star a yard Lord would in, work in uh, Infinity War. I like your plan, except it sucks. So you should let <laughs> me do the planning, so that way it could be really good. Yeah, I I just feel like I'm gonna get I'm gonna lose my iPad. Yeah, probably. Like a will. bird's Someone's gonna make gonna a nest it. on it, and I'm not gonna want to move the nest, so I have to leave the iPad there for a few move weeks the until nest. the birds are adults. I'm, I can't hurt them. I have been dealing with the Their final enabled. boss of things that are hard to disengage from at night. Uh, I've been watching that show Invincible on Amazon. I've heard good show, very violent, good show, and uh, I decided to read the comic run. And it's it's like 144 issues, so it's just very easy to keep swiping the page. All right, one more issue, just one more issue, <laughs> and before you know it, it's like 2 a.m. <laughs> so there, at least it's reading. There may have been one night over the weekend where I stayed up till 4 a.m. unwittingly, <laughs> just one more issue, one more issue until my eyes couldn't stay open anymore. Huh. So we'll come up with some good answers for this then. Yeah, it's it's a tough problem to solve. Uh and I don't know. Maybe it's I also need to repetitive. Set up stupid parental controls on my iPad. Like to... the stuff I want to do in the morning is sometimes the stuff I'll do late at night because I'm mad that I didn't get to do it in the morning because I didn't wake up because I stayed up to, like it becomes a cycle where yeah. I, everything gets pushed off until I'm willing to say I don't get to do this today. Well, That's I don't a, want to read comics I don't in the know. morning. I'll figure that out. I'll, I'll have to get a better system going. Yeah, let's do some experimentation. But yeah, I think the biggest thing is like have some kind of wind down routine. For me, like the best thing to do would probably be get up, actually put the dishes in the dishwasher, wash anything that has to be done. It takes yeah. a little while, so it should disengage me from doing whatever. That's probably And then fair. I can be like, all right, it's time to go to bed. I have started, uh, I just got some chamomile. So I have been doing that because it'll make mm-hmm. me tired faster. So that's kind of, Trying to force myself to fall asleep at some point. Let's talk about the YouTube channel. Yeah. And uh, the the potential, you know, potential for resulting. So uh, another term that we reviewed in the first episode in this Thinking and Bets series was resulting, which is kind of what I explained in the intro where you, you get an outcome for a decision and you think, okay, well, the outcome tells me how good the decision was. That's called resulting. Um, And you want to avoid it unless you have perfect information, like if you're playing chess. So something we've been doing since the beginning of April is trying to build a process where the team here at 
college info geek slash whatever we are, uh, has a lot more input on the videos and a lot more delegation goes to them. So you have been sort of the producer on the last few videos. Uh, Tony's been the sole editor. I have not touched the edits on the last few videos. And then we had Ransom who was helping with scripting. So I had time to go work on this Notion course. The process is starting to coalesce. It's good. Um, obviously, there are improvements we can make, but it's been pretty yeah. good so far. The performance of the last few videos, though, has not been great. And this is something that started, I think, four videos ago. So this was actually before we really leaned into this process. Um, but it's been especially like the performance of the last two have been especially down, which is a little discouraging to see. Um, it is. It is discouraging. But the, the takeaway I think we need to have here is not, oh, performance down, therefore decision bad, because that's resulting. And it's very easy. Like, I think this is a good, a good visceral experience for us to have in this realm it would be very easy to go, okay, well, the way I used to do it worked better and this way is not working. Therefore we made a bad decision. It, it's so, it'd be so tempting to do that. But I think that we, you know, we need to look into it further and identify the actual causes for it. Okay. Why is the performance of the videos down? Well, part of the reason, probably the prime, the primary reason is that people just aren't clicking the videos and that has a lot less to do with how good the video itself is and more to do with the fact that the topics or the titles we're choosing or the thumbnails we're creating aren't yeah. enticing people to click like they once were. Um, we've also noticed like this is happening to some other YouTubers. Uh, Noah from Polyphonic on Twitter had mentioned it about his own channel. And what I think it actually is, is a case where, you know, maybe we're leaning on topics that, haven't really been validated very well. We come up with an idea and we're like, oh, hey, that sounds interesting. And we don't actually think like, is this something that the audience really wants? Yeah, we just think like, can we make a good video on this? Probably. Yep. Rather than, should we? Yeah, exactly. That's like, problem with YouTube, especially when you have a bigger and bigger channel is you can, you can do what you want to a degree, but ultimately at the end of the day, like your audience needs to want to watch what you're creating, especially when you're creating for an algorithm driven platform where the algorithm decides whether or not to show that content to additional people based on the behavior of the first group that it tests that content on, which is usually your subscribers. Uh, and I know like as a subscriber to many channels that my interests shift over time. So if one creator that I'm following does the same style of content, or the same format for a long time, eventually I'm going to get tired of it. So I need to think about that from the perspective of my audience too. Maybe we need to shake things up a bit, but what I don't think the conclusion needs to be is, oh, we moved to delegation and, and, the, and the results were bad. Therefore delegation bad. I think it just means, you know, we have, we have some things that we need to actually figure out in yeah. terms of topics we're choosing. Well, and that's definitely so, how it felt at first. So we're getting a, a live lesson yes. in the things from this book in a very intense way, but it's, it's, it's inconvenient that whatever is happening to so many people feeling this right now happened right at the delegation because it makes it seem like an obvious cause and effect, but mm -hmm. technically it's not since it was already starting to happen that way. And we can't separate weird 
happenstance from this. So we got to try to pull the right lessons and not the wrong lessons. You know, I don't want to also see, maybe there is the possibility to go, oh, I don't, don't, don't do resulting and then go the opposite way or and do and just change nothing that it, mm. yeah, right. And disregard the potential that that is the thing. Uh, I think I had read somewhere like when you learn about like heuristics and biases uh, and the, like the more intelligent you are, the more able you are to trick yourself into agreeing with your preconceived notions. So it's like there's a double-edged sword there to learning about these kind of things. Um, so it's possible that that offloading a lot has something to do with it, but I don't think it's everything. Yeah, and I don't even think it's the primary cause. So this is really what you have to do when you make a decision and the outcome is not exactly what you wanted. You have to ask yourself, okay, well, what parts of the decision contributed to this, and what external factors do I think had a role to play as well? In this case, I think the external factor is algorithm is changing, audiences are changing, and maybe we need to be changing as well or picking topics that are you know more aligned with what the audience wants. Uh, the internal reasons may be, okay, well, I tried to step back because I'm a notorious control freak. So I'm like, all right, I'm gonna let you guys basically handle the edit here. I'm going to try not to come in and nitpick a bunch of things as same with the script. And maybe that, you know, means there are things we could have optimized. Oh yeah. And we started with, uh, you know, basically already picked topics. There literally wasn't a point where we questioned them. We were just yeah. like, these are already ready. Yep. So go with these, uh, the time limits the, that we're under often force our hand in a mm-hmm. way of saying, I guess I'll make this sacrifice, but which one's the right sacrifice? I don't know. You can't really know. There are so yep. many different variables at play. It's hard to know. Yeah, it is hard to know. Uh, so, you know, we don't have the answer here, but I, what I do think we have is is a good process. Yeah. And actually... Getting closer to that answer. The biggest thing that I thought was interesting in this book might be useful in this situation because um, it's the ideas of backcasting and pre-mortems. Now, backcasting, I have I have thought of this before. I think we've talked about it before. Um, you imagine a future where you've succeeded and that person is looking back. What got them there? What are the steps mm-hmm. they remember taking? And it becomes, again, because you're, you're peering into the future and trying to imagine something, you can do a better job of trying to identify the actual steps that present you could be taking by by imagining it that way because present you if you start here you're going to start thinking with what what can i do and what are the various reasons that i can't do things you're already limiting yourself based on your circumstances and not whether or not you could change them to fit your dreams or whatever mm. but if you start with future you and you think how did that person succeed you might find oh well if future martin wants to be healthy again he probably did something about his penchant for desserts and not also eating anything healthy. Yeah. He he probably did wake up early enough to make time to exercise instead of accidentally working through lunch and workouts, mm-hmm. you know, like five days in a row. It's easier to do that. So that's the idea of backcasting. And I think it's pretty interesting. The opposite, however, I hadn't thought about. And um, she calls the opposite pre-mortems in, in the book. Just 
imagining the future where we've failed and we're looking back and we try to think of, okay, if we were failures at this goal, which pieces of the process are probably the reason that that happened? And it can be a useful way to try to identify weaknesses in what you're doing or things you're procrastinating on that you know you could do better at, but you just, you know, it'll be like the future where I never got my health back. I never did anything. I kept making excuses. I kept going to the store and saying, okay, one more day, one more day of not thinking about it. It's, <laughs> it's microwave food and custard tonight, boys. One more. That, if I keep doing that forever, doesn't get me to where I wanted, which was returning to cooking. Right. So it might be easier to realize, okay, I have been, I have been doing that, realistically speaking. Whoops. Can we do this? Maybe we can each pick an example and do both of them. Um, for what the videos or just anything? For for anything. So, okay. You know, yeah, I, th- I think it would right be now, useful to do it. I think this is a an interesting process. So, a goal that I have is uh, get to a one thousand pound powerlifting total between bench press, squat, and deadlift. Um, right now. I, I, I deadlifted 415 for two a few months ago, but I don't think I'm there right now. I think I've backslid a bit. So I would estimate that I could probably do 375 on a good day. So that's that. Uh, I could probably squat 315. So that's what, 690? Uh, and I could probably bench like 240. So uh, 930. So I need to add 70 more pounds. And maybe 70 more pounds is actually not good. So maybe I should set the goal at 1,200. I'm very close to 1,000, which actually, now that I've done the math on that, it seems really cool. So the first thing was was back casting where you're successful, right? Yeah. So if I cast myself into the future, I hit my 1,200 pound powerlifting total. What are the things that got me there? I know from experience that if I follow the programming my coach sets for me and I don't injure myself snowboarding, then I typically have been making gains every single week. Uh, with some lifts, it's like, you know, I do sets of five. With some lifts, it's I go up two and a half pounds. Uh, with some lifts, I go up five pounds. But consistently since I started, I've been doing that every week where I actually do the workouts. So what did I do to get there? I actually did the workouts. And as an ancillary thing, I got proper rest and I got enough uh, calories and protein to keep growing and allow my muscles to recover properly. Yeah. And that seems pretty simple. Follow the programming. It's like, it's actually much easier for me having a coach than it would be if I didn't have a coach, because then I have to be like, okay, well, what's the proper programming? Well, in this case, the easiest decision is let the expert who knows who has trained power lifters, who knows how to do this, let the expert just tell me, this is how you get there. This is what the programming is. If I fail, so pre-mortem, let's just say it's six months from now and I still haven't hit, or maybe a year from now, I don't really know how long it's going to take me. Say a year from now, I still haven't hit 1,200. My coach was said in the programming. He's always said it. What it probably means is I didn't stick consistently to my workout schedule. And I know from past experience that part of the reason I don't stick to my workout schedule is I wake up and I'm not, I'm like, what should I do first? And I'll choose something that isn't working out. And then as the day goes on, I'll keep kicking the can down the road. All right, let's podcast. I got to take care of emails. I got work to do. And then it's like evening and I just don't want to do it. And I'm like, I'll just do it tomorrow. That's mm-hmm. an easy pattern to get into. 
So I know like the biggest failure trigger is not committing to wake up and work out first thing. Yeah. If I don't do that, it's likely going to be the cause of failure. You see, that's interesting because that sentence that you just said, that's likely going to be the cause of that's, that's like very, it feels foreboding. It feels like, Oh, I better watch out for that now. Mm -hmm. Whereas maybe without doing this, it wouldn't be as obvious that, Hey, this is a weakness that you're just letting exist. Yeah. So I've got, you know, a million goals, which is its own, which is its own issue. (laughs) That's a potential cause for failure. That's, that's a potential cause for failure. Um, so let's say one thing that I think would be cool. I would like to do something. Well, one, I would like to speak my languages well again. I feel like I've gotten a little rusty. I haven't been able to practice. And I would like to someday compose something for a video game, either mine or another one, but something cool to that effect. And the success and failure triggers for both of these are actually fairly similar. If I succeed... It will be because I found the time to put in regularly, not not all at once, because if I think I'm going to do this for 18 hours on Sunday, all that happens is I procrastinate it. It's a high-pressure, high-expectation day. But if I can get large enough blocks of time that matter to get me into the flow state, to get me going, and I can do that regularly, that will take me to where I want to go. If I start putting out music and I keep practicing and I do it regularly, that will take me there. And if I can take care of my physical health, so I have more energy that will take me there and keeping the house clean so that I don't get distracted by the clutter, which kills my ability to focus that that will be one of the small things that I can do that will help future me to have succeeded. Um, but if I fail these goals, it's probably because I never made good time for them. I gave half-hearted efforts while being overwhelmed. You know, I did five minutes here, five minutes there, maybe maybe two hours on an intense Sunday and then not again for two months. I couldn't give myself enough focus because I let myself kind of go around with the waves every day. Just let, let my obligations push me wherever they feel like going. Mm-hmm. It might be because I kept succumbing and this uh, to, to my mood swings. Sometimes I have some depressive food, mood swings and in them... I might convince myself that what I'm doing isn't working. And now lately I've been doing a better job of saying, actually, no, you just feel like garbage right now. You're going to think that everything you're doing is garbage and that's not connected to anything. So let's just not bother dealing. Don't just don't bother having any opinions on that right now. But if I listen to feeling bad, Martin, and I keep changing my systems or something, then I will have changed them so frequently to as, to have never really stuck to any of them for long enough to make them work. Yeah. I will keep going back and forth, taking two steps forward and then taking two steps back because I felt like changing the system before it got anywhere. That's Mm -hmm. kind of killing momentum. I think would be the thing that stops me. So it sounds like for you, it's consistency is the number one thing. And I guess like also carving out space for consistent effort. Yeah. And I can carve out space. Like I'll have a really good morning and I'll get Mm -hmm. a little bit of everything I want, but then I'll have some reason why the next day I can't do it because I procrastinated something else. And I do have those mood swings where I suddenly think maybe I'll never accomplish this. Maybe that's not the direction. Maybe I don't feel good right now because I've been doing the wrong thing. And if I listen to that, 
I won't ever do the right thing long enough to accomplish anything. That's yeah. That's classic, uh, dip talking right there. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, and you know, brains are difficult. It is an electric meatball and it does mm-hmm. what it will, but I have my own, my own things I want to do. So I can't always listen to electric meatballs. I actually want to give a recommendation for a previous episode. Uh, this was back in the college info geek podcast days, but we had one on Seth Godin's book, the dip, which essentially deals with this, this problem that almost everyone faces when they get into something new, whether it's composing music or lifting weights or whatever it is, where it's like fun at first and you're making a lot of progress and then it starts to suck. And his whole point is like, and everyone goes through this and the people who are successful are the ones who are able to get out of that dip. And, yeah. you know, once they get out of the dip, that's where they start to make real progress and they become experts. So I'm trying to remember which episode that was. I think it was, yeah, 202. Uh, so it would be cigpodcast.com slash 202. Or you can find it in the feed if you're listening to this on a podcast app. Yeah, and the dip's um, there regardless of whether you happen to have any uh, mental yes. health mood swings. That's just always there. So that's on top of it. Yeah, and I, you know, I think we go through multiple dips. Because as creators, as people who have goals, who are trying to become experts, we're always pushing our abilities. And every time we push our abilities, we go through a micro dip. Like, you know, as a YouTuber, maybe I went through my initial dip a long time ago, but in trying to evolve my style or in trying to build my team out and delegate more and stop being a control freak, there's a dip there. I think that we're in, as we're in a dip right now with that. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's kind of funny. Like if I, if I look over my career as a YouTuber now, I should be like, Oh, well I'm past the dip. This shouldn't be happening. But yeah, I guess if you think about your journey through whatever you're trying to be good at as a series of steps, every single one of them, when you're trying to push the envelope and learn something new is going to have a dip. Yeah. And I think that's a huge part of anything. Uh, I do have one more good pre-mortem finding. Okay. And that would be another thing that will cost me my success will be if I always find a reason to start for real tomorrow or the next week. You know, <laughs> today is my mental health day. Today I'm not feeling it. Today I'm busy. Today I'm tired. T- today something, 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 something. That will take so much time so quickly that it's really hard to notice when it's happening because maybe all of the reasons are perfectly viable reasons. It's understandable. But if there's one every day and it's always, I'll start for real soon, then I'll never see another country and I'll I'll never actually do these things, which is why I'm going to put that song out right after the Monday after this episode comes out because I just don't want to wait anymore. Mm -hmm. I, I could just say, I'm not ready yet. I didn't already write like 13 so that I'm ready to, you you know, I could put it off and then probably never finish it. But right. I think that is procrastination is is a huge one, especially when it's backed up by seemingly understandable reasons. Yep. Yeah. I've had many of those with lifting. (laughs) Oh, whatever. I just don't feel good today. Even today I had, like I was in the garage 
like doing my squats and I was like, oh man, my back is a little sore. I'm not going to do my working sets. I'm just going to, you know, go down to like a warm up weight and just do that. And the funny thing is like, as I warmed up, that soreness went away and I did my working sets at a higher weight than I've ever done. And I got all three of them done. Didn't miss a rep and my back feels fine. So it reminds me of something my dad told me because I remember like I was working out, I was probably, I don't know, 14 years old and he always had us work out and I was like, I'm just not feeling it today. I don't want to do heavy weights. And he's like, a lot of your off days, quote unquote, are going to be the days that you hit a PR if you just push past the discomfort. And ironically enough, <laughs> I hit a PR like the day he told me that. Mm, prophecy foretold. And uh, what he did actually, it was, it was crazy because it was, I remember this now, the PR was uh, 135 pounds, which for people who don't lift weights or who think in kilograms, um, in weightlifting, there's like the, the biggest normal size plate is 45 pounds. They call it a plate. And like the first lifting milestone that you really hit in the bench press is being able to bench one plate on each side. And I hadn't hit it yet. And every time I tried it, I wasn't able to hit it. And my dad's like, all right, I'm not going to tell you how much weight I'm putting in the bar. And he just put like a bunch of fives and twos and tens and stuff. So it was like a random assortment, no plates. And I, I hit it. And then he's like, do you know how much you just benched? 135 pounds. Oh, so him putting all those tricky. little tiny weights on there prevented me from getting psyched out. But, and that was, that was a huge thing to me. But the, uh, the biggest thing was like, I remember I felt like it was an off day. I said it was an off day and he's like, Nope, not an off day. A lot of your off days, you hit PRs and I hit a PR. So a lot of it is just like pushing past excuses, pushing past your currently diminished comfort zone. Yeah. Getting yourself out of it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a difficult balance. Cause like I do, I should be understanding sometimes that maybe I do have a circumstance that's, you know, a big deal, but if it, they start to pile up, then I'm going to go ahead and guess that a lot of them weren't as big of a deal as they, maybe they felt like one of them might've yeah. been a big deal. Mm -hmm. So yeah, well that about covers it, I think, right? Yeah. We got and... through all the things we want to talk about with the book. Uh, once again, the book is called Thinking and Bets. So if you want to go read the entire thing, you can, well, we'll probably have it linked in the show notes, right? Oh yeah, yeah. They would definitely be in the show notes. We will have it linked in the show notes. So yeah, the show notes are going to be over at theinforium.com slash 20, right? Yes. It's 20. Yeah. Yes, I always want to 20. say, because we number it, we number it as how many episodes since the beginning of college and boogie podcast yeah, it's definitely so 20 in our notion it says 320 but it's 20 because we relaunched the podcast so yeah you can check out the show notes there you can subscribe to the show at the inforium.com we're on spotify apple podcast apple apple podcasts google podcasts all the podcast apps you can just search for the inforium our our illustrated mugs will show up in there and yeah that's gonna do it we went for quite a while on this one. So we are going to skip cult member questions until the next episode. If you have questions, leave them in the YouTube comments for this episode on YouTube or tweet us. I'm Tom Frankly over on Twitter and Martin is Yo Martholomew, which is objectively a cooler Twitter handle. Yeah. But also longer. That's true. But it's easier to spell than my last name. So it's still an improvement. 
it is easier to spell than your last name unless people happen to be German, then it should be fairly trivial for them. Yeah. Right? It's German, right? Yep. Cool. I think mine is Germanic. Pretty sure. I don't know. Bit, bit easier to spell, though. Doesn't involve anything it's, that would have had an umlaut. It is pretty easy. Yep. <laughs> so that is going to do it for this episode. Uh, if you're on Apple Podcasts, there is a rating and review feature. If you want to support this show, you can do that. Or just support it by uh, sharing it with a friend, letting them know what your favorite episode is. Maybe they'll jump in from there and become listeners themselves. Uh, either way, as always, we hugely appreciate for yeah, we hugely appreciate you for just hanging out with us and dealing with me tripping over my words sometimes because I do that. So uh, we will see you in the next episode. Until then, thank you.